siblings. Right. And that's what leads us into asking for God to have mercy on us because we don't keep the law perfectly. We, we break the law all the time and we forget to follow the house rules. And so we're asking that the Lord have mercy on us and that's what leads us into confession so that we would be able to worship with a clear conscience. So just a brief, uh, I think that probably would be helpful for us to just hear why, why things are happening uh, in the times. So we can be more mindful at those different parts of the service to, to recognize that God's, God's name is a, is a safe place for us to run to. Um, there's a, a tradition of, of the Jesus prayer even where um, when people are in times of like desperation, they don't have like language of their own, that they would just pray, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, sinner. And it would, that would just be a meditation that some people will actually use throughout the history of the church. Um, so just recognize that, that we have a, a God who's known, and he's given us his name, so that we can call him, you know. <clears throat> With that being said, let's, uh, let's worship the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let us rise and worship the Lord. Blessed be the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Hear what our Lord Jesus says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. You may be seated. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Beloved, let us confess our sins to our Almighty God. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no help in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promise, and declare unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent, with true faith turn to him, have mercy upon you, pardon you, and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As a minister of the triune God, I declare to you that your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Believe that and have peace with God. Let's say it in Galatians. <clears throat> as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Ah,
Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. O God, who declarest thine almighty power, chiefly in showing mercy and pity, mercifully grant unto us such a measure of thy grace, that we, running the way of thy commandments, may obtain thy gracious promises, and be made partakers of thy heavenly treasure, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We'll sing Psalm 98. Um, I'll sing a line, and then you'll sing it back to me. Sing to Yahweh a new song. Sing to Yahweh a new song. For He has done wonderful things. For He has done wonderful things. His salvation worker is His right hand and His holy arm. His salvation worker is His right hand and His holy arm. Yahweh has made known His salvation. Yahweh has made known His salvation. Before the eyes of the nation, He has revealed His righteousness. Before the eyes of the nation, He has revealed His righteousness. He has remembered His loving kindness and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. He has remembered His loving kindness and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the land have seen the salvation of our God. All the ends of the land have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to Yahweh all the land. Shout joyfully to Yahweh all the land. Break forth and sing for joy and play music. Break forth and sing for joy and play music. Play music to Yahweh with the lyre. Play music to Yahweh with the lyre. With the lyre and the voice of song. With the lyre and the voice of song. With trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn. With trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn. Shout joyfully before the King Yahweh. Shout joyfully before the King Yahweh. All together. Let the sea roar and its fullness. The world and those who dwell in her. The rivers, let them clap their hands. The mountains all together, let them sing for joy before Yahweh. For He is coming to judge the land. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Praise to Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting and unto everlasting. And let all the people say Amen. Praise Yah, hallelujah. You may be seated. Blessed Lord, you've caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The epistle reading for the 11th Sunday in Trinity, 11th Sunday after Trinity Sunday, is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Now I want to make it clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you were saved, if you hold to the message or which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I pass on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to over five hundred brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, He also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I am persecute, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I, I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. The word of the Lord. Let's stand and sing our first hymn, hymn number 30, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past, hymn number 30. of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. The Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. 
Let's stand and say the Apostles' Creed and confess what the Scriptures have taught us as the Christian faith. We believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Our sermon comes from Genesis 10. Genesis chapter 10. Following the sin of Ham and the cursing of Canaan. Hear the word of the Lord. These are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They also had sons after the flood. Japheth's son, sons, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Yavan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyras. Gomer's sons, Ashkenaz, Rifta, and Togmara, and Yevin's sons, Alisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these descendants, the people of the coasts and islands spread out into their lands, according to their clans and their nations, each with its own language. Ham's sons, Cush, Mizram, Put, and Canaan. Cush's, Cush's sons, Sabah, Havilah, Shabbat, Ramah, and Sabbatakah. And Rama's sons, Shabbat and Dadan. Cush fathered Nimrod, who began to be powerful in the land. He was a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. His kingdom started with Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh, in the land of Shinar. From that land went he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Reboeth, Kalah, and Rezin, between Nineveh and the great city Kalah. Mizraim fathered the people of Lud, Anam, Lihab, Naphtu, Pathrus, Kaslu, from the Philistines came from them, and Kaphtor. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn in Heth, as well as the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvadites, the Zemarite, the Hamathites. Afterward, the Canaanite clans scattered. The Canaanite border went from Sidon toward Gerar as far as Gaza, and going toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adamah, and Zibion as far as Lashah. These are Ham's sons by the clans, according to their languages and their lands and their nations. And Shem, Japheth's older brother, also had sons. Shem was the father of all the sons of Eber. Shem's sons were Elam, Ashur, Ashpakashadad, Lud, and Aram. Aram's sons, Uz, Hul, Gathar, and Mash, Arpakashad fathered Salah, Shalah fathered Eber. Eber had two sons. One was named Peleg, for during his days the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. Joktan fathered El-Madad, Shalpeh, Hazmarafel, Jorar, Hadaram, Uzal, Dekha, Obal, Abimael, Shabah, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were Joktan's sons. Their settlements extended from Misha to Sephar, the eastern hill country. These are Shem's sons by their clans, according to their languages, and their lands and their nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their family records, and their nations. The nations on earth spread out from these after the flood. 
Families will tend to have defining traits. They may be known for their artistic skill or their avid outdoorsmanship. These markers are ascribed to a family because the people in the family will share these desires. The children that grow up seeing certain things desired, whether it be a taste for seafood or a sweet tooth, will tend to also grow in those desires. They have a model for the object of desire and they tend to mimic or mimetically develop those same desires. These collective loves interact with one another. And eventually, these families grow into tribes, and those tribes grow into nations. We can still see this today. Certain towns in Maine will have certain cultures, and they contribute to a set of cues, clues that mark out Maine as an identity, given these collective loves and cultures and desires, which in turn then contributes to an American identity, in which commonality and common desires from all these different sub-nations contribute to the empirical American identity. And this is what the Lord is doing in Genesis 10. He's providentially growing and expanding the family of Noah into 70 nations that inhabit the earth. The three headwaters of Japheth, Ham, and Shem are grown into the fullness of nations. And these nations cover the earth. These nations will have their identities in some ways shaped by their respective starring families, by the root desires that crafted their unique identities. Verses 1 through 5. These are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They also had sons after the flood. Japheth's sons, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Yavan, Tubal, Meshech, and Taras, Gomer's sons, Ashkenaz, Riftah, and Togmarah, and Yevan's sons, Eliash, Tarshish, Kitim, and Dodanim. From these descendants, the peoples of the coasts and the islands spread out into their lands, according to their clans and their nations, each with its own language. The line of Japheth is comprised of 14 sons. First a set of seven, then a set of three, then a set of four. This is God's way of reinforcing the righteousness of Japheth. Japheth's numerical offspring demonstrate that God is pleased with Japheth. He himself has seven sons. Seven sons are a perfect number of rest. A rest just like his father Noah was named for. A rest just like Japheth and Shem helped maintain by recovering Noah's glory in his robe. A rest that the new creation is bringing after the flood. That now um, humanity will not have to toil without a just recourse towards towards criminals. A rest from... uh, from the consternation of, of worrying about uh, impending deluge, destroying the earth again. The faithfulness of Japheth's offspring, however, is yet to be determined, but they are inheriting a God-fearing heritage. And these sons of Japheth will inhabit the coastlands of the world. So if you looked at a map of where the generations of Japheth settled, it would be the northern part of the Mediterranean. So north of Israel and out through Italy, Spain, Armenia, Black Sea, that, that region. This region ends up becoming the seedbed for the Western world being Christianized. And we see hints of this reception of the faith early on in Israel's life. There were various nations that neighbored Israel that were friends to Israel, that looked to Israel as, as, uh, as the house of the living God. 
We think of the king of Tyre, who sends cedar wood to Solomon to help build the temple. Um, We think of other kings and queens that sent tribute to David, visiting wise men from other nations. There were Gentiles that feared God. They didn't become circumcised. They didn't join the nation of Israel. But they were waiting on the promises that Israel had been given. That they, they had a faith that was vicariously mediated by Israel in a certain way. And this is the legacy of Japheth. Japheth, while Japheth's line doesn't become the Messianic line, he is a companion to Shem. And Shem is the one who carries the Messianic line. And these Gentile God-fearers can even show up in the time of, uh, in the time of Jesus. We think of examples like the Samaritan woman who has faith and is asking Jesus where they're to worship. Do we worship on this mountain in Samaria or the mountain in Jerusalem? Or Cornelius, who's a centurion that Peter is specifically sent to, to demonstrate that now, in the New Covenant, the Gentiles and the Jews are both clean. Both groups of animals are clean, and they both have equal access. Where the Gentiles used to have to stay far out, the faithful Gentiles had to stay in the outer courts, everybody comes in now. Everybody is cleansed like a priest and can enter the Holy of Holies through the blood of Jesus. And this is what's being demonstrated by Peter being sent to Cornelius. But Cornelius wasn't just some random pagan. Cornelius feared God. He's called a God-fearer. He feared the true and living God. And so he was primed to receive the Messiah as the full revelation of who the true God is. These are examples of the nation of Japheth bringing glory to God. Because Japheth was a friend of Shem, this friendship is played out only on the national scale rather than just the individual scale. And thus, there are still offspring of Japheth, so to speak. The church has historically called these people hearers. Hearers are people that show an interest in Jesus. When the things of the Lord are presented to them, they're like, they they don't back away or treat it apathetically. They, They lean in and they show an interest. So maybe they haven't converted yet. Maybe they haven't put their faith in Christ, but they show it show an interest, and they recognize this thing is unique, and they start to grow in a sense of reverence for the things of the Lord. They start to revere the church and recognize that she's the, rest, she's, the, she's the pillar and ground of truth of God's oracles, that there's something unique and special about this people, this nation, this kingdom of heaven on earth. That's what we call a hearer, like a son of Japheth. And the Lord willing, oftentimes those people that are hearers, that show an interest and when you say, hey, this, this is who Jesus is. This is how God has revealed himself. Is this something you'd like to hear more about? A hearer will say, yeah, I think I would actually. Right? And those are people that are moving towards the Lord. Those are the people that are moving towards baptism. They are, they're blessed with a softness of heart. With an inclination to, to, to reverence and to, to properly adorn God's house, God's people. To treat them with honor and diligence. Just like Japheth has a soft heart towards Noah's vulnerability, Noah's weakness, and Noah's office as king. So what we want to do is is pray that God would bring hearers into our lives. Bring bring people into your lives that are captivated by the beauty of God's word. Captivated by the, the beauty of Jesus. Are intrigued by the mysteries of God. And that you'd be able to read the gospel of John with them. right? Even if you don't know how to present the gospel, if you don't know how to you know, craft this thing and, and spin it in a way that can catch somebody in 15 seconds in an elevator, the word of God is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. So even if you just say, hey, 
this, uh, if you're interested in this stuff, let's get together and read the Gospel of John together. Read the Gospel of Matthew. Have them encounter Jesus in his own word. And they'll hear, because faith comes by hearing. So those are, we're looking for sons of Japheth. Where, where, are the, where are those that, they're not in yet, they're not part of the new covenant people, but they're being drawn, they're being called by God. They're being moved to a, a tenderness of heart. Verses 6 through 20. Ham's sons, Cush, Mizram, Put, and Canaan. Cush's sons, Sabah, Havilah, Sabah, Ramah, and Sabatakah. And Ramah's sons, Shabah and Dadan. Cush fathered Nimrod, who began, the power, who, became, who began to be powerful in the land. He was a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. This is why it is said, like Nimrod, a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. His kingdom started with Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh, in the land of Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-Eir, Kelah, and Rezin, between Nineveh and the great city Kelah. Mizraim fathered the people of Lud, Anam, Lehabah, Naphtu, Parthus, Kasul, the Philistines came from them, and Kaphtor. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn Heth, as well as the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvites, the Zemorites, the Hamathites. Afterward, the Canaanite clans scattered. The Canaanite border went from Sidon toward Gerar as far as Gaza, going toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adam, Zebeloam, and as far as Lesha. These are Ham's sons by their clans, according to their languages, in their lands, and in their nations. So as we move into Ham's line, we notice how much greater of a household Ham seems to have. He has 30 sons are listed here, 30 30, um, nations and groups and tribes that descend from Ham. It seems strange after you get this really short snippet about Japheth. He's got sons and that's about it. They, They live on the islands and the coastlands. And then you get to Ham and it's like, and they built cities. And the, all these nations came from Ham. Like the line of Ham moves away from just individuals' names, and to and the and the Hamathites came from them, and the Ar- Archivites, and these these nations came from Ham. Powerful people, powerful nations that were fearful to the Israelites. That that without the Lord, the Israelites would not have been able to defeat. These were strong, powerful nations. Nineveh is a great city. Babylon is a great city. So aren't isn't Ham? Aren't these sons supposed to be servants of Shem and Japheth? Ham's line is composed of 30 sons and a mighty man of, called Nimrod. He's, this is the only line that has this little snippet about this awesome guy that was a great hunter and founded multiple cities. And from, and from these cities, powerful empires. Cush, the line of Cush is where Egypt comes from. Egypt is the one that they enslave Israel. Babylon comes from the city of Babel. Babylon brings Israel into exile through the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Persia is, uh, is part of this mix here. It's not called Persia in the line, but the people are the Persians that emerge from Cain's line. And they topple the Babylonian Empire. These are great and powerful nations. Nineveh is where uh, Jonah is sent. Um, and Nineveh is a seedbed of uh, murderous and cruel people. This great city that, that Israel feared. And at various points in history, all of these different empires oppressed the descendants of Shem. And we're again reminded that fleshly strength does not equate to God's blessings. 
Ham has a great lineage, but it doesn't equate to God's favor resting on Ham. These nations are antagonistic towards Israel, which is a direct rebellion against God's instructions to Canaan. Canaan was supposed to serve them, to be a a servant to Shem and Japheth. They're supposed to serve the household and not attack it. Instead of serving in Shem's tent, they leave the tent and build their own cities. But the Lord's providence will not be thwarted. What Ham's sons meant for evil, the Lord meant for good. When they thought that they were exalting themselves, they were still serving Shem. When they thought, we're building an empire that Shem's people aren't ever going to get. We've got a leg up on them. God can't touch us. We've got, city, we've got ten, 10 foot thick city walls. What they've actually done is they've created treasure troves that God's people will inherit one day. All these cities, all this wealth ends up being given to the sons of Shem via the nation of Israel. Egypt gives heaps of gold and jewelry to the Israelites when they leave in the Exodus. When the Passover comes and the first sons of Egypt all die, the Egyptians can't give the Israelites enough gold fast enough to get them out of the land. Similarly, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, ends up converting under the ministry of Daniel, and now all of a sudden Babel becomes a Christianized nation for a time. Lastly, the Persian Empire is the one that they fund entirely the reconstruction of the temple and the the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. This is the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, a lot of the minor prophets deal with the Persian Empire, Cyrus, saying, oh yeah, your God is the true God. Let me give you as much money as you need. All the gold, silver, and bronze, all the gemstones that you could possibly need, go back and build the city and build the temple for your God. All this stuff that Ham's sons hoarded away and thought that they were getting one leg up on Shem, ends up going back to Shem. They, they don't get to hold on to it. Because God had told them, you are going to serve in Shem's tent, whether you like it or not. The wealth and power accumulated in rebellion ends up being given over to the true God in thanksgiving. And one day, right, these are all just echoes of what's happening at the end of history. Right? Look at all the nations that at various times, have submitted to the the yoke of Christ as king. And they've built beautiful cathedrals. They've written laws that that were just and more righteous than laws that were written previously. The Western Christianized world is the first first civilization to outlaw slavery. That doesn't happen anywhere else until you have Christianized nations. So all these people groups, over time, are slowly giving their glory over to the Lord. This is what we're told in Revelation, that at the end of history, when the, when the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth are fully united, at the end of history and the resurrection, all the glory of the kingdoms will be laid at the feet of Jesus. All the things that people thought they were hoarding for themselves, all the glory kings thought they were accumulating on their own behalf, will be given over to the true king. The, the victory of Jesus over death ensures that no earthly ruler can stand against Jesus indefinitely. And when we see worldly success then, when we see the wicked doing well for themselves, we ought to pray that those gaining success would thank God. It's for their own benefit that they would recognize these things are gifts, these things are not their own, they're to be stewards, and we pray that they would turn and thank God. Because all of a sudden, they're liberated from the burden of grief. They're liberated from the burden of anxiety and worry if they recognize everything I've been given is from God, whether it's a little or a lot. And they can use it in service and in glory to Christ. We'd pray that they would humble themselves before God. 
It isn't good for a rich man to gain the world and yet lose his soul. So we should not envy the seeming grandeur of worldly kingdoms. Just because Hollywood, Wall Street, and the like have great influence, power, and wealth, we shouldn't wish that we had their same guns in our armory. Because what they have will never soothe their souls. Those accomplishments cannot give them peace with God. They cannot prepare them to die well. They cannot prepare them for the resurrection. Holding on to the the weapons of flesh and the glories of the flesh will not equip you for glory of the Lord. Only a thankful heart, only lips of praise instead of cursing, only bent knees in worship, these are the avenues, these are the weapons by which true riches are gained through a humble and a meek soul. An eternal kingdom is inherited by rejecting the ways of Ham and Shem, by not trying to be a mighty man like Nimrod, but rather being a tent dweller, being a servant in the house of God and not a doorkeeper in the house of the enemy. Verses 21 through 32. And Shem, Japheth's older brother, also had sons. Shem was the father of all the sons of Eber. Shem's sons were Elam, Ashur, Arpkashad, Lud, and Aram. Aram's sons, Uz, Hul, Gathar, and Mash. Arpkashad's sons fathered Shalah. Shalah fathered Eber. Eber had two sons. One was named Peleg, for during his days the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. And Joktan fathered Almadad, Shalpah, Hazmaravel, Jaram, Ophir, Havalah, and Jobab. All these were Joktan's sons. Their settlements extended from Mesha to Safar, the eastern hill country. These are Shem's sons by their clans, according to their languages, in their lands and their nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their family records in their nations. The nations on earth spread out from these after the flood. So Shem's descendants end up dwelling mostly between the families of Japheth and Ham. So again, if you looked at your map, you've got Japheth's sons in the northern Mediterranean, and you've got Ham's sons mostly in Arabia and North Africa, and Shem's sons end up being kind of in this uh, uh, Asia Minor, what's called, um, um, missing the word, Turkey, uh, that, that region. Right? That's Shem's sons end up living in a mediatorial role, right? mediating between Ham and Shem, uh, Ham and Japheth. Shem is the middle brother by birth. So the, line- the genealogy can be confusing because the names are written in uh, how they written. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, right? So usually you'd think Shem's the oldest. But we know from the story of Noah, Ham was the youngest. And we're told here there's a little note, Japheth was the eldest. So it's Japheth, birth order is Japheth, Shem, and Ham. So not only does Shem live in between Ham and Japheth, but his sons are also of the middle birth order. And one of Shem's grandsons, Peleg, is even named accordingly. He's named Peleg because in his time the earth was divided. Right? That the sin of Ham kept maturing and manifesting more and more division. So the sin between brothers becomes the sin between tribes, the sins between nations. And this is how you get schism and division. These divisions and fractures are always a result of sin when brother and brother fight. Right? Um, uh, Athanasius and Celia were both trying to share a book the other day, and uh, Celia has a habit of ripping pages in books, and this was a library book, so she really can't rip a page, or we're paying $15. And so she's starting to rip it, and Athanasius grabs the other side of it and tries to pull it away from her, saying, she's ripping the book! And uh, my, my wife says, like, you're also now ripping the book. 
right? That the anger, the antagonism, the lack of patience shown toward the sibling that's being destructive ends up, ends up accelerating the division, right? So Ham's sin is what puts schism between himself and his brothers. And then Canaan and his sons, not willing to submit to restoration, not willing to submit to reconciliation, not willing to patiently endure the, the labor that had been given to them, increase the separation. They increase the division by exalting themselves, by building their own cities, by moving away, by creating more friction between them and their brothers. And Jesus warns that the gospel will bring such a sword and that families will be divided because some families will recognize Jesus is king and some in the family will not recognize Jesus as king. Right? And that's where the division comes in. There's fundamental disagreement. If you're recognizing who the king of creation is, and the person next to you is not, there's only so much commonality that's going to be shared before divisions and fractures start to emerge because you have diametrically different understandings of reality. Who's in charge? Who's the boss? Who gets to say us, tell us the way we ought to live? And if we don't have the same playbook, if we don't have the same law code, we're going to run into fission and disagreement. Some brothers will follow Christ toward righteousness and some will stay hardened in rebellion against God. The only way then to heal division is through repentance in Christ. That Christ's body is torn so that we might be put back together. We must love Christ first, right? The, the root of unity, the root of Christian brotherhood, the root of humanity being restored is that all tribes, tongues, and nations would turn to Christ. Apart from, apart from union with Christ, we cannot have union with our brothers and sisters. We cannot have union with our neighbors and strangers unless we all share union with Christ first. Because we'll then share in the same life. We'll partake of the same body and the same blood. This is why Paul makes such a big deal out of communion in 1 Corinthians. It's like, you're supposed to be one body. Don't you know that the bread that you break is participation in the body of Jesus Christ? And the blood you drink, the wine you drink is the blood of Participation in the blood of Jesus. You're sharing in this one source of life. And so without that one shared source of life, you can't, we can't have shared intercommunion among ourselves. And so that's where unity first has to be recognized. Right? This, and this is why this unity in, a, in, a, in the sacraments is so significant for the churches. In order for the church to restore its divisions, right, we, have to, we have to have a shared understanding of what's happening at the table and, and, who's, and, and recognizing um, each other's baptisms. We must love Christ first so that our other desires will be properly ordered. And then we'll see where have we vainly built our own strongholds in contradiction to the kingdom of God? Where have we built a Nineveh to keep out our brother Shem? Or where have we wandered away from the safety of Shem's tent, arrogantly thinking that we could survive alone in the desert? And this could look like a variety of different errors. Right? It could look like trusting in financial security over God's daily bread, thinking, if I, if I do things just right, then I won't, actually, I won't actually need to depend on the Lord. I'll actually be able to take care of myself. Or forsaking the library of psalms, hymnody, creeds, and prayers that have kept God's people well-fed and trading them in for something that tickles our own fancies. 
Right? To say, I don't need this thing that everybody else that died for the faith used. I, I like something that makes me a little more comfortable. We can build a castle around our own household. Right? This can make us unwilling to bring our own brethren into our lives. Right? We, we want to be willing to share our burdens with one another. To share our concerns. To keep short accounts. If something's kind of niggling away at your mind, like, I feel like they've offended me. Don't let it stew. Go to them and restore, have your brother restore to you. Right? That's, that's how you stop yourself from building your own little castle, your own Nineveh, that would separate you from the brethren by keeping short accounts, by seeking repentance from them. If, if someone has sinned against you or if you've sinned against somebody else. By not creating dividing walls of hostility and shutting off communication. This is how we participate in the life together here locally. We don't want to isolate from our fellow church members. This would be to resurrect the old divisions between Ham and Shem. And if you are Ham, it can seem that you have no need for Shem, right? Shem's line is not composed of any great men of renown. There are no great cities. And why should we serve Shem? He's not a glorious nation. But Shem is faithful. And faithfulness to God is invaluable. You cannot buy it. It must be acquired by God's graciousness alone. Shem's meekness is what makes him a fit vessel for such a blessing as God's favor, rather than a metropolis. Meekness, bear in mind, is not weakness. It's humility. It's not making much of yourself. And this is shown in Shem's line coming last. The last shall be first, and the meek shall inherit the earth. Jesus himself is the last Adam, not the first Adam. God's glory is eschatological, meaning that it crescendos throughout history and manifests most fully at the end. It ends on the high note. That's why we should always eat dessert last, for the glory of God. Uh, Hugh of St. Victor talks about this in relation to the creation of man and sin. So when mankind is created, he is created and he has being. That is good. He has being, he has existence. God is life himself and man has life. This is good. Man sins and begins to fall into unbeing. That's what sin does. It makes you un-inhuman. Unbeing. It starts to deteriorate your life. And Jesus comes and he doesn't just restore us to being, but he restores us to beautiful being. Beautiful being. Because that is the end goal. That was always the end goal for Adam. This is why Adam recites poetry when he meets Eve for the first time. Because Eve isn't just other being. Eve exalts humanity to beautiful being. Jesus creates the church because he's, the church is going to work alongside Christ in exalting creation from being to beautiful being. To crown creation with gold and jewel and pearls. And it will not do this through our own fleshly strength, but it will happen through our humble praise of our King. Through making much of Christ and little of ourselves. To have a beautiful and eternal existence in the presence of God is the goal of the Christian. To try to partake of that now is what we do on Sundays. To try to get a sense of the beatific vision. That one day we'll be face to face before our maker. And one day all things will be made new. And we want to rejoice in that impending reality and yearn for its coming glory. And this is why Shem's line comes last. They will be the inheritors of of Ham's initial glory and the perfectors of it. 
Ham's sons are the ones that move from being to non-being. While the promised line of Shem will move from being to beautiful being. From the great sea of Noah's line, one people of Shem will be the crown jewel of all these nations. God builds nations from a single family. And God grows and cultivates his people like a global garden. These sons of Noah are brought forth, have brought forth the 70 nations that would populate the world. And these 70 nations that would bring God's image to every corner of creation. These 70 nations would toil and yearn for a solution to death and sin, finding, trying to find a life raft away from non-being. And even the pagan nations who are enslaved to sin and death still crave the solution to this ubiquitous problem. Everybody has to deal with the problem of death. How do we deal with the sting of death? How do we remove it from our lives? Just as all these nations came from one father, Noah, their salvation would come from one son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the crown jewel of Shem's line. The answer to the problem of death. The answer to the problem of non-being. Jesus builds the cosmic tent that all repentant sinners get to serve in. Jesus is the singular son of the 70 nations that then calls all nations to himself. The salvation of all, the humble and meek from every tribe, tongue, and nation is to be found in the singular God-man, Jesus Christ. There is no other hope for us. He is the cornerstone of creation, the crown jewel of the world, the cornerstone of the heavenly city that overshadows Egypt, Babylon, and Nineveh. Jesus is the everlasting mighty man that makes Nimrod look like an infant. Through Christ's conquest of death, he leads many sons to glory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. We'll prepare our tithes and offerings for the Lord. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. O Lord, and you are exalted, head above all. All things come from you, O Lord. Are you going to play the glory of Patrick? Or you, no, if you have something else, go ahead and play it. And we'll sing after. Okay. All right, we'll sing the glory of Patry as Bill comes around. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. Amen. We continue to offer ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Our God is a God who hears and answers prayer. Let us bring our petitions and thanksgiving to Him in Christ's name. For the peace of the world, for the welfare of the Holy Church of God, for the unity of all people, especially the Church in Maine. Lord, I pray that the hymn sing today would be a time of 
fellowship and a growth in unity amongst the brethren in the town. Lord, in your mercy. For our president, our governor, for the leaders of the state of Maine, the nation, for all in authority, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy. For the good earth which God has given us, for the wisdom and will to conserve it, for food and shelter, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy. For the aged and infirm, for the widowed and orphans, for the sick and the suffering, for those who are lonely, for those in bondage to addiction, for all who are confused and lost, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, we pray that you'd heal the McKean children, restore them to health, that they would be able to return to church and give them peace and contentment in their time of sickness. Lord, be with Shelley and the Burkolo family as they mourn the loss of Craig. Lord, in your mercy. For the poor and the oppressed, for the unemployed and the destitute, for prisoners and captives, especially for persecuted Christians living in fear or threat of danger, for all who remember and care for them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we move to communion, just... Remember that uh, your sins have been forgiven. We've confessed our sins to the Lord. and He's assured us of pardon. So this is a solemn and joyful celebration. This is not uh, a wake for someone that has remained dead, but our Christ died and rose again. So we can delight in him and, uh, and his gifts for us. It is right, our duty, and our joy always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Therefore we praise you, joining with the angels and archangels, with all the company of heaven, who ever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And when we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you and your mercy sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. In obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all, that by his suffering we might be saved. By his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. As our great high priest, He ascended to your right hand, that we might come with confidence before the throne of grace. On the night when he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, and we had given it. He gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you, and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your, Holy, your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctify us also that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament and be made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him. In the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ and bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom, where we shall see our Lord face to face. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Christ, our Passover land, has been sacrificed once for all upon the cross. Let us therefore keep the feast. Let us pray. We do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose character is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. The bread that we break is not a participation in the body of Christ. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you, for you preserve your body and soul into everlasting life. Take and eat. cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve your body and soul into everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you, and be thankful.
Let us sing to the Lord. Hymn number 460, Amazing Grace. Number 460, Amazing Grace. Stand and sing. disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and lift his countenance up to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above the Heavenly host, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 